0: Today is the day that the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. So when I was a little boy, I remember my grandma told me. I remember sitting there, standing there, little toehead Ryan, little boy looking up at my grandma and my grandma said to me, "Ryan, do you know how we know that God is good?" And I remember standing there looking at her. And I, one thing about my grandma, is she never left the house without probably 10 pounds of makeup on, her hair super big. She was just that sort of lady. She had flair. Uh, I loved her deeply. But she looked at me and she said, do you know how we know that God is good? I said, how? And she said, we know that God is good because God holds the world between his fingers like a grape. And at any time he could go And then she says, but he doesn't, even though he should. <laughs> and that's how we know God is good. And I remember sitting there thinking, okay. You know, and one thing we have to remember is when we tell little kids something, like, they don't think about it abstractly. They think about it exactly what you're saying to them. So I remember sitting there thinking, I I imagined our solar system, right, with the earth and all the planets, and I imagined this like father time type figure floating around the sun holding our planets between his fingers, and I remember thinking, how come we can't see his fingerprints? How come we can't see his fingers in the sky? Now listen to me, I know now that what my grandma meant was that Every breath that we take as a sinful people, that's an act of mercy from a just God who would be completely justified in squashing this place like a grape. Like every breath we take is an act of mercy. And so yes, God is, God is good. But here's the other thing that I think we need to realize is God is not out there waiting for you to trip up so he can squash you like a grape. God's not waiting to crush you. Hear me. He's calling to you. He's calling out to you. He's calling out to me. He's calling out to you. He's calling out to us. And as we close up our sermon series today, we've been walking through the book of Hosea. We find ourselves on the very last chapter, chapter 14 today. And here's what you need to know about the book of Hosea. For, For the prior 13 chapters, God has been calling out to his people the kingdom of Israel. And they have given him the stiff arm They have ignored his call. They have chased the world. They've chased their personal ambitions. They've chased the culture around them, even though God constantly is calling out to them. And he's saying to them, if you continue down this path, your neighbor, the kingdom of Assyria, is going to come in and crush you. If you keep chasing the world, the world you will have and it will destroy you. And God says, return to me. That's how he starts this final, final call to the people of Israel. It starts with this beautiful word, return. This chapter is a beautiful call for God's people to return to him. Hosea chapter 14 is one of those chapters, like when the, when the world and people of the world say that the Old Testament God is a mean, bitter God, this is where we, like, we point them to the book of Hosea, and especially chapter 14. So let's go there now reading God's final call to his people Israel. Hosea chapter 14, would you hear the word of the Lord? If you do use the Bibles that we provide, and I hope that you do, that's on page 963 and 964. Here's God's word. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord and say to him, Take away all iniquity except what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel." He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. But the transgressors stumble in them. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray, and then we'll continue. Please pray with me. Lord of heaven and earth, Father, even though you do hold the world in the palm of your hand, you are calling us, not wanting or waiting to crush us. You are calling to us. So I pray, Lord, that by the moving of your spirit and by the preaching of your word, Father, that we would hear your call. A call to repent, a call to return, a call to receive the love that you have for us in Jesus' name, in whose name we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen. So the entire book of Hosea shows us a God who loves us, a God who wants us, a God who pursues us, a God who chases after us, a God who calls us, a God not who is jealous of us, but who's jealous for us, a God who wants us. Isn't that the type of God that you want? A God who loves you and wants you. A God who wants us to return to him. So as we look at this call to return through this passage, I think when we talk about returning to God, I think there's three things we need to know when it comes to our lives returning to God. Number one, returning to God means repentance, renewal, and righteousness. Repentance, renewal, and righteousness. Let's, let's walk through this uh, passage together here. Hosea chapter 14, looking at the first three verses. So there are a lot of things that I do not like about modern day technology. There's a lot of things I don't like about what it's doing to us as a society and as a culture, but there's one thing that I really do like about modern day technology. And that is, when I have my phone, I always know how to get where I'm going. You guys know what I'm talking about? You you enter in the address of where you wanna go and a map shows up, step-by-step instructions show up, and as I'm driving, It will say the directions to me. It. It, because it's a phone. I know we call it Siri, but it's not a woman. You don't know if it's a woman because you're not a biologist. It just slipped out. I need Jesus most of all. But it will tell you the instructions of how to get where you're going. It will show you a map. It's nearly foolproof for those who are willing to follow. And when it comes to returning to God, the first step is repentance. And we're not at a loss on how to do that. God himself shows us how to repent and to return to him. We're not at a loss. So when we repent and we return to God, the first thing is repentance. That we repent. And listen, I know, I know that the world is telling you, the world is telling you that you have nothing to repent of, that you are beautiful just the way you are. I know that this sounds really nice. I know that scratches our itching ears, but we all know something is wrong in this world. We all know that our lives are not perfect. We all know that we are not perfect people. God would not have to call us back to himself if we were not far from him. Jesus would not have had to die on the cross if we were perfect people, if we were beautiful just the way we are. Are we beautiful in the sense that we've made the perfect image of God? Yes. But we have deep brokenness in our culture, in our world, and in our souls, and we all know it. We are not perfect people, and yet God still calls to us. Verse 1, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Our faith begins with a turning to God, a returning to God. He is to be the object and the focus of our faith. He is the bedrock of our lives. He is the way in which we see the world. The world is lost and broken, and God... Seeing things through his truth is how we are to see and interpret the world. As we return to God, he gives us the eyes to see. But we return to God because, as our verse continues, because we have stumbled because of our iniquity. Now, I know iniquity is kind of one of those bigger, weirder Old Testament words. Iniquity, iniquity just means unequal. It means not right. It means unjust. Iniquity is just a biblical term that means sin that we have fallen short of what is right before God. So our path of repentance starts with a realization, a realization that we have all sinned, that we have all, as the Bible says, stumbled because of our iniquity. Or think about it in another imagery, that we have fallen off the path of what is right before God because of our sin. There is no true repentance without realizing your sin. How many of you have ever told your kid or maybe your grandkid, you've told them, say you're sorry. And they go, fine, I'm sorry. And you're like, "Mm, I don't think you meant it. Right? Because here's what we do as parents. We skip past the part where we speak to their heart and we want to go right to confession. Right? But we need to first speak to their hearts so they know what they are to apologize and what they are to feel sorry for. We need to speak to their heart to show them how and where they have sinned. And from that comes true confession. Because that is how our Father worked with us. He doesn't call us right to say we're sorry. He speaks to our heart first, showing us where we have sinned. And then, God says in verse 2, and then take with you words and return to the Lord And say to him, take away all iniquity and accept what is good. We have to confess with our mouths from a changed heart. Otherwise, God's going to say, you know, I don't think you meant it. It has to come from our heart. I love what one commentator said about this passage. He said, The path of repentance starts by admitting that the misery we have suffered has been caused by our own sins. Here's the point. It's not repentance if you blame someone else for your sins. Repentance is owning your own sin. And, but here's the amazing thing. When you can own your own sin and then actually repent of it, that is proof that God is moving in you. James Boyce says it like this. To repent of one's own, to repent of one's own specific sin is so difficult that it is actually impossible apart from the grace of God. What he's saying is that to come to the point where we can own our own sin and not blame anyone else, but own it ourselves and repent of that, that is such a difficult thing for sinful people to do. We can only do it if God is working in us. So here's what I'd say. Married Married people, when your spouse comes to you with a true heart of repentance, owning their sin and not blaming anyone else, and they are coming to you and seeking forgiveness, be quick to forgive. Be quick to forgive. Because if they come to that point where they can own their own sin and come and repent of it and ask for forgiveness, that's proof God is moving in them. And let me tell you, that's a plant you want to water. And we water it by forgiving, by being quick to forgive. We do that and we'll see them continue to flourish in their faith. But we all know that words, they are important, but words without actions are hollow. And so when we repent, we need to then do, respond with a life, respond with a life that seeks to do what is right. Our verse continues, And we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. We will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. I'm going to say something that's going to sound really, really troubling to our modern ears. But here's, here's what was happening. In ancient Israel, when they wanted to atone for their sin, when they wanted to make right their sin, here's what they would do. Because sin is a crime that needs to be punished. Like it's a debt that needs to be paid. So when ancient Israel would sin, the way that they would atone for their sins is they would, in a spiritual sense, they would take their sin place it on an animal, like a bull, and then they would sacrifice that bull to pay for their sins. But no animal could ever fully, forever pay for human sins, so they had to keep doing it. Slaughtering these animals, seeing the blood spilt, to know how terrible their sin is. That sin is a crime that needs to be punished. Sin is a debt that needs to be paid. Now, remember, the, the Israel here, they're not saying these things. God is giving them a prescript of how to repent. So God's telling them what they should be saying. He's giving them a path. And when, when, when we say, we will pay with bulls, the vows of our lips, what that means is that we're not going to just talk the talk. We're going to walk the walk. Because true repentance results in a changed life. True repentance, listen to me, results in action. Good, righteous action, and also an acknowledgement of who saves who, that God saves us. We don't save ourselves. Verse 3, Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses. We will say no more our God to the work of our hands. This is them acknowledging that God alone is our, is our salvation. So let's look at this real quick. Assyria shall not save us, realizing that the world around you Is no place of salvation. The world around you, it may affirm you for a while, but all the world can actually do is destroy you. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses. This was pointing to a military might. Our own nation, our own army can't save us from our sins. And we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. See, what happens is these craftsmen would make these little idols, these little figurines, and they would take these idols and they would put them on the shelves, and Israel would worship those things and say, our God, in worship. We will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands, to our idols. Now, what's an idol? An idol is anything that you put above or before God. So let me ask you for a moment. For those of you who are in here who would call yourself a repentant Christian, what idols do you have in your life? What things do you put above or before God? I I'm going to give you an awkward few seconds to look in your own heart and see where you have idols. If you are a Christian, And you realize you have idols in your life. Things that you put above or before God. Here's here's my loving challenge. Why do you still have them in your life? You are a Christian. You are called to put God first. Repentance, putting our faith in God, returning to God means removing our idols. They're no longer in our lives. We've put them behind us. Returning to God means that we look to God for him and him alone for our salvation. That we put him first in our lives because we know that he is good. Not because he's not going to crush us like a grape. We know that God is good because in you the orphan finds mercy. That God doesn't look to the powerful or the popular to be his people. He looks to the least of these. Now don't try to modernize this with any sort of idea of like marginalized people. Let's look at it and what is being said here, God looks to the orphans, those kids who are running around without a mom or dad in the streets of the cities where the church is meant to go and bring them, bring them into church and bring them into a family and give them hope. Those are the people who God calls his people. The least of these, the least of these. So in these first three verses, we see that returning to God follows the path of true repentance. And here is true Repentance. Realizing our sin. Not blaming anyone else, but realizing our own sin. Confessing with our true heart before God. Taking righteous action. Responding with a good life that seeks to do what is right before the Lord. And then trusting in God for life. Trusting in God for life. Like displaced orphans who have found a home with our Father. That we trust in him. So the first thing about returning to God is repentance. And there is true repentance as laid out in Hosea. The second thing we see when we return to a God who loves us, when we return to a God who loves us, the second thing we see is renewal. A couple years ago, I had a conversation with this woman. And she had recently left a life of prostitution. She left the streets and There's a a couple reasons I really remember this conversation. And the first one is because she actually used the word repent. She said, I repented and put my faith in Jesus. I can't get Christian men to say the word repentance. And this woman just said it so freely. I've repented of that life and I've put my faith in Jesus. And then she said, and this will forever stick with me. She said to me, I've been with hundreds of men. But now that I've repented and put my faith in Jesus, when I find myself a godly husband and I'm with him for the first time, it will be like for the first time. And I'm like, that is the type of renewal, that's the type of being made new that I wish the church would understand That when we come to faith in God, we are made completely clean. That all the wrong we've done is completely behind us. We are washed clean, white as snow by the blood of Jesus. It's brand new that we are renewed. Renewal. We are new again. Verse 4 says, God says, I will heal their apostasy. Now, apostasy just means a turning away from God, a rejecting of God. God says he will heal that in our hearts. I will heal their apostasy, I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. God's anger, when we turn to God, God's anger turns away from us, meaning we have peace with God now. So we get healing, love, and peace with God. Healing, love, and peace. Would you say that with me? Healing, love, and peace. Let me ask you. Imagine that everybody in your life everybody who you encounter, everybody in your life. Imagine if they only gave you healing, love, and peace. What would your life be like? That's what we get when we turn to God. Healing, love, and peace. Not a God who's waiting for us to trip up so he can squash us, but a God who calls us to himself even as we run away from him. A God who calls us to himself so we can have spiritual healing, unending love, and abundant peace. So I will ask you now, have you repented and returned to the God who loves you and is calling out to you? Or do you still keep him at arm's length? I think a lot of us, We keep God at arm's length. We say to God, I like you up there. I like you in heaven, but I don't like you in my life. I like you up there. I don't like you down here. How many of us fall into that category? But listen, listen to how God speaks to those who have returned to him. Even those who have rejected him for a lifetime. Even after a life of rejecting him, when they turn to God, listen to how he speaks to them. Verse 5 on down. I will be like the dew to Israel, like the morning water. And he shall blossom like the lily. He shall, not take, uh, he shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. The trees of Lebanon were known for very, being very tall and very strong cedar trees. His shoots shall spread out, meaning that we'll have a firm foundation, his beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. Let me hang on to this one for, for just a second. It's the, it's the idea that when we return to God, that our lives will be a picture of restoration and flourishing in life, so much so that people notice. I guarantee you will notice a beautiful sunset. I guarantee that you will notice when you walk through a garden and it smells good. That's how Christian lives are be to the world. Not because we have a clean house and our kids are perfect but because our lives are marked by a healing, love, and peace that the world doesn't know. Verse 7 goes on to say, They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, again, just another term describing Israel. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and looks after you. The point being that when we return to God, when we turn to God, there's a positive change in people's lives where our idols are gone, that we are made new, and that God is now our focus and our trust, and him alone is Lord of our lives. So when we, when we return to God, it's marked by repentance, it's marked by renewal, but it's also marked by righteousness. Righteousness. Our world doesn't know what's right anymore. Our world is lost and it's broken. And you can waste your time being angry or you can develop some compassion and reach out with the love of Jesus and the truth of Scripture. Our world is lost and broken and doesn't know what's right anymore. Our world can't even define what a woman is It's odd to me the things that are now up for debate. Listen to me. Just because the the culture at large embraces something, that does not mean it's progress. I'm telling you right now, we are experiencing cultural regression. And this is a chance for the church to stand up and shine. Not to be offensive, not to belittle people, not to be mean, but a chance to stand up in truth and love and show grace and show the world what is right Listen to what Hosea says. Verse 9. This is how the the whole 14 chapters of Hosea closes up. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. God is speaking through Hosea and basically saying, now that you've read and walked through this entire story, what are you going to do about it? Is there going to be any difference to your life? Will it have any impact on who you are? Why? Here's why. Scripture says, For the ways of the Lord are right. You don't have to be lost. You don't have to be confused. Look to the Lord. His ways are right. And the upright, meaning those who are righteous, those who have returned to God, the upright, the righteous, they walk in them. And transgressors stumble in them. Here's the big grand point if you have turned to, returned to God, or put your faith in Him, then you will walk in His ways. If you don't walk in the ways of the Lord, what proof is there that you have faith in him? You may say, well, because I believe in him. The demons believe in God. There's a difference between acknowledging that he exists and walking in his ways through faith. It's clear. It's simple. Those who follow God will will no longer follow their impulses. They will no longer follow the cultural standards. They will follow the ways of the Lord. Why? Because the ways of the Lord are right. They're clear. They're true. It's not darkness or confusion or bitterness or debate. It's true. And we follow the ways of the Lord, not because it's easy and certainly not because it's popular, but because it's right. And the righteous will follow them. And so as we close up this sermon series on the book of Hosea, and we've seen this drama unfold over these last seven weeks, here's here's how the story ends the the story of hosea is actually a tragedy it's a tragedy history tells us that in 722 bc assyria does in fact invade and destroy the northern kingdom of israel Israel did not return to God even after he called and called and called to them. Instead, they chose the world and they suffered the consequence of their own sin and actions. And the whole time, God was calling out to them. And I know that if if you've been through this sermon series with us, and we've talked about the the looming threat of Assyria hovering over Israel, I know that if you've been with us, it probably can feel like... um, like the call is like this, that God is, saying, God is saying to them, return to me so this doesn't happen to you. And that's partly true, but I want you to know that the call of God is also return to me even if this happens to you. Because the hope is is that even if you have made terrible choices, even if you are suffering the fruit of those terrible choices, even if you are walking down a a dark path, even if you have rejected God, you can still answer his call. He is still calling out to you. That's the hope we have in a loving God. He is calling out to you. You know, the, the call of God came through Hosea for a generation. But now the call of God comes finally and fully through Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews starts out, the very first verse says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to us by the prophets, but in these final days, he has spoken to us by his son. You know what? Assyria destroying Israel was a terrible thing. It's a terrible tragedy that this is how the story ended. But because of their sin, it was a just action. Their sins deserved it because sin deserves to be punished. And yes, God should and could crush this world like a grape. It would be a just punishment for the sin of this world. But God doesn't crush the world. He crushed Jesus instead. In stead, In our stead, in our place. Isaiah 53 says that he, pointing forward to Jesus, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our sins, and the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. If you are choosing the world over the call of God, then like Israel, you will get what you want, and it will inevitably destroy you. And all the while, God is calling you to a better way and it's through Jesus. The only way to return to God is to follow the way that he's laid out to him and it's through Jesus. Jesus, who lived perfect righteousness, who died as the final sacrifice for our sins upon the cross. We don't place them on a bull anymore. God took our sins and placed them on Jesus. And Jesus paid for our sins finally, fully, and forever. And when he rose again from death, defeating death, He did this so that we could have life, eternal life, eternal life marked by repentance, renewal, and righteousness. And listen to me, this eternal life does not start when we die. It does not start when Assyria destroys us. It starts when we put our faith in Jesus. When we return to him, we are made new. If that's good news to somebody, say amen. For 14 chapters, Over many years, Hosea shows us a God who is a faithful husband, who is a loving father, and a God who is a loving God who has a jealous love for us because he wants us. If that's the type of God that you want to worship, that's the type of God there is. So let's stand and prepare our hearts to worship him now.